Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Krause Survival Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by TriarchSystems.com. Triarch Systems makes custom pistols, carbines, rifles, everything you need for everyday carry, sports shooting, competition. I actually run their Glock 17 Charlie, and it's a pretty gun, but it's also durable, reliable. I've ran about 10,000 rounds to that gun and had zero issues with it. TriarchSystems.com. Make sure you use Philcraft to save on checkout. Also, this podcast is sponsored by TrueBrain, T-R-U-Brain.com. I use their nootropics. I also use their ketone ester for brain food. If you're into performance and cognitive function and all the things that feed the brain to be better, to perform better, make sure you check out TrueBrain.com and use Philcraft 15 to save 15% on checkout. Hey, we had the opportunity in this podcast to interview Luis Rivera at Mighty Oaks Foundation. Thank you to Mighty Oaks Foundation for the opportunity to come into the studio. If you guys haven't heard of Mighty Oaks, a local friend of ours, Chad Robichaud, runs Mighty Oaks, but they help veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress, and they do so comprehensively. And I couldn't say enough good things about the foundation and the men and women who work for Mighty Oaks Foundation. So we got the opportunity through the help of Michael with our media guy and got up set up in the studio for this next podcast with Luis Rivera. Luis Rivera was a you know class leader made famous in the Discovery Channel documentation of the Buds class 234. You know class 234 was taken from beginning to end it showed all the struggles the brotherhood all the things that these men go through in order to be the most elite operators and soldiers or sailors in the world, not soldiers, um, but sailors in the world. So had the unique privilege to talk to Luis Rivera, but he also works for Mighty Oaks Foundation. He has an amazing story, an amazing journey, and I hope you guys enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast, the Phil Krause Survival Podcast. I'm actually in the Mighty Oaks studio, um, thanks to Chad Rubishaw and his team. I'm here talking to Luis Rivera, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks, man. thanks for having me. Yeah, this is uh, it's an amazing time to to get outside of our bubble in Prescott, Arizona, and to do uh, interviews on the road. Uh, Mighty Oaks offered up their studio, and actually, I'm talking to Luis, and he's a employee now mm-hmm. of Mighty Oaks, mm-hmm. and not even realizing it. And Chad kind of connected us on this, but you have an extensive career and special operations, specifically the SEAL teams. Um, and I don't know if it's inf- famous or infamous uh, start to your career when your class was highlighted on the Discovery Channel uh, with Class 234, right? That's right, yeah. Well, I, you know, first of all, I want to say, you know, it's funny because we were just talking about it with Nick. It's like you probably get tired of hearing about that or see, get, being exposed to that because that's how you started your career in the teams but when I was watching that documentary I was a 20 year old e5 in the infantry and it it really stuck with me like I I, I see your face and it's almost like I know you um, and that that show for I know this personally from experience started a lot of guys careers in special operations because mm-hmm. they saw the emotional connection and the the struggle, the bond between brothers, and it was it was, and I don't say painted like it was it was a, it was there was an architect behind it, but it was very, um, 
an amazing documentary. And I mean, it wasn't, I didn't think it was canned. I didn't think it was Hollywood. I think it was a, a real cool experience um, to watch. Now, to experience might have been a little different. Um, you know, starting out, I kind of want to talk about your background because I didn't realize it up to that point that you were uh, uh, on submarines for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but you were a, an E-6, which is, if people know about the Navy and the ranks, I was a 20-year-old E-5. I was a Team Sergeant E-8 when I was 30. Not saying that we didn't earn it, but it's a lot different rank structure-wise. To be a senior 10-year E-6 in the Navy, going through BUDS, and to, to have that captured by Discovery Channel, what was that experience like for you? Challenges, a lot of humble pie. Mm. Um, I think I came out um, of the submarine community wanting to do something different. Um, and uh, when I got to the, <laughs> when I got to Buzz, I, I did get some, I, I expected what I got, which was really a, a challenge to um, my way ahead in a way. So what I mean is uh, I had some instructors that really push and challenge me to see whether I, whether I was there for the legit reasons. Because mm. usually guys that get there in their senior um, either don't make it or are there for the wrong reasons. And um, if, we go, if we roll it back a little bit, in, in 1995, I actually went through Butts for the first time. Oh, wow. Five years prior to that. Five years yeah. prior to that. And I, I, remember, I remember coming in one Monday morning in 1995 and talking to the first phase officer and saying, listen, uh, I'm done. It was after a weekend, and uh, it was maybe three weeks into training. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, I'm done. He's, and he asked me, I remember him asking me, he said, do you ever want to come back? I said, no, no, I'm done. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> But during that time, I had, obviously, I was, I was immature, and just my head wasn't right. I had just gotten married, um, ironically. When I went back five years later, I was getting a divorce mm -hmm. um, from 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 my first wife, and uh, I knew that I was there for the right reasons um, the second time. Wow! Um, and the and the in the show the show says that I, I that, that it was my third time trying. The truth is that I was there for the second time, but I actually started in two thirty three, and when Hell Week came in two thirty three. I was I got injured. I, I ended up getting uh, SIPE. Yeah. Right. Swimmer-induced pulmonary edema, and um, so I had to go back for day one, week one of two thirty-four. I went from a summer hell week to a winter hell week, and a winter hell week. Now back then it happened. Mine happened in December. Yeah. Nowadays I think they they push it a little bit back, so um, it's different now. So how far were you in it in two class two three three before mm -hmm. you when you got rolled back? To day one. Yeah, so I was in. I was into it. So I got injured in Hell Week. So that's uh, two weeks of orientation. I think it's, and I can't remember three weeks or five weeks of first phase, and then Hell Week. Maybe wow. it was three weeks. Yeah. What I do remember was I was hating to go back to day one, week one, because by the time I was done in Hell Week, before I got injured, we were done with those logs, and I was so happy to be done with those logs. Oh. So I had to go back to day one, week one to two thirty four. And um, start all over again. So when they, when they um, and you know, a little bit of this podcast focuses on resiliency and mindset stuff. And mm -hmm. I can imagine that, you know, you're young, you're young in the Navy. Um, 
specifically the SEAL community, you kind of go through all these things, and you're 10 years in now, and you're an E6, mm-hmm. and they tell you, hey, we, we got to start you from day one again. Mm-hmm. How, did that, how did that impact you? I was actually prepared for it. Were you? I was. Okay. Mentally, yeah. I was prepared for it. Um, I had made the decision before going in that if I gave it my all, mm-hmm. uh, I trusted their opinion that I didn't belong there. Got it. So you had a level of commitment prior to going in. Yes. No matter what was going to happen, you were committed for the long run. Right. And if they if they sat me in front of a board and said, listen, this isn't for you, I was willing to accept that and go and do something else. Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating thing. And I, and I don't want to digress too much, but I think it's fascinating that um, when you look at your life and how you face challenges, that perception is really important because the Number one, I talk about it often, especially especially with relationships and failed relationships, is that your level of commitment initially will set the tone for your success. Mm. And so if you go into it and you're going into it half-hearted, you're obviously not going to be set up for success. Mm. But if you have a level of commitment saying, hey, I'm committed to the cause, and with you even doing that, and then also additionally, which is hugely important in mindset, saying that, you're willing to accept from the experts. Mm-hmm. If you weren't the kind of person that belonged there, you're willing to walk away with acceptance, which is solace. You know, it's like uh, it's it's saying, "Hey, you know, I, I'm accepting what you're doing, which will allow me to move on in my life and in my future, and not hold me back." Sure. Because a lot of people who don't have that mindset, and they get told, "Hey, you're not what it takes," and they're not prepared for it. They walk away from it and they spend the rest of their lives kind of this agony. Mm. But when you set the tone uh, right up front and set the stage uh, for the process, mm. then it's setting you up for like long-term health, mm. especially mentally, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get washed back into two, three, four. Mm. And I remember, man, it's all coming back to me. Because it's funny because when I first saw your face, I went, I know that guy. <laughs> I, I definitely know him. And I, I do remember, because I was training up for selection at the time, mm. and I remember watching that show and, and uh, being invigorated by it because I could see the struggle, but I also saw the emotional connection and the brotherhood, and I wanted that in my life. Mm. I wanted to be around like-minded guys that were fighting really hard. Talking a little bit about the show, because I think it's, it's pretty cool, mm-hmm. um, did the cameras impact the way you guys were treated from Discovery Channel? Did it kind of determine your destination, your future um, in BUDS because they were there? I don't think so. Mm. Um, I, what I do know about the cameras is there was a, since I was an LPO, the leading petty officer, the cameras would brief with the instructors beforehand. Um, mm. as, as the LPO, uh, we got more information than the rest of the class, mm-hmm. but that didn't take away from the training. Yeah. Um, on top of that, things happen outside of the camera that the cameras didn't see. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it impacted training much. Um, yeah, it was, <clears throat> like I said before, it was winter time, and I don't think much has to happen during winter time to get guys to either realize in their minds that they want to be there for the right reasons or not. Do you think it was an advantage at all? Because I, I, I imagine. Uh, maybe this is the new culture and the new way of thinking, but I imagine that if I am being filmed, that I know <laughs> this is going to be documented for the rest of my life, potentially, and archived, 
that there would be an incentive there to understand that if you quit, you're doing it, and it's going to be uh, noted uh, for the rest of history. Was there any of that in your mind, mindset, or was the only focus just on this, the uh, mission at hand? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the onus is on the instructor staff to make you forget about the, the cameras, mm -hmm. and that happened. Yeah. Because to look at a guy in the face who, during Hell Week, to look a guy in the face and, and know that he's making the conscious decision not to continue, and guys are around him and saying, hey, dude, are you sure this is what you want to do? Yeah. Let's do this together. And him still walk away Yeah, means that he didn't care if the cameras were there or not. Um, yeah. And everyone else, uh, every, the rest of us were realized that we, we still have to stick, stick it out, you know? So. Yeah. Is there anything defining that kind of stands out to you during that experience in Buds? I mean, I, I know, you know, I've, I've talked to uh, other SEALs that have been through Hell Week, and I imagine that uh, a winter Hell Week is just, you know, twice the pain because you're not only cold, but you're wet. Um, is there anything that stands out to you about, about the experience? Um, <clears throat> one of the most challenges ta challenging times about that training was, I don't know if you remember or not, there was the steel pier. Mm -hmm. It's when you have to tread water yeah. and they, they skin layers off. And yep. um, the one thing I do <clears throat> recall about that experience is that um, beforehand, I made the decision to um, memorize something mm -hmm. so that whenever the pain did come in that period when I wanted to be over but it wasn't I would recite that whatever I memorized mm. which caused me to take the pain off myself and uh, or at least take the focus off myself take the take the focus off the pain and help out in any way that I can with the class yeah because it got uh, man I was I was born in Puerto Rico I was raised in Louisiana yeah. hot I love hot. Yeah, yeah. When it came to cold, no. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I knew that would be a challenge for me. And so beforehand, I prepped and I memorized whatever I could. Uh, so when that time came, I focused on reciting that. Did you learn that or was that something that you just decided to do? I, I decided to do it. That's, that's fascinating because, you know, when you look at, I mean, it's a mantra. You developed mm -hmm. a mantra that would keep your focus, your cognitive focus on something outside of the the physical pain, mm. right? Um, and that's what got you through that. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what it was? Uh, well, what I do know, it, it was a Bible verse. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know what it was. So you memorized that verse and, and continue to say that mm -hmm. again and again. And it, was, it wasn't just one. It was like four or five. Yeah. So I had to work hard, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so um, it took, it helped. It, the time went by. What's, I always think this is fascinating, but I, I imagine, you know, you have practitioners of, of mindfulness and, mm. and uh, practitioners of meditation and that have formulated tactics and techniques in addressing how to keep the mind focused or uh, stay resilient or just stay in the fight. And what's amazing to me is that individuals, despite that education, that are suffering, mm. human beings that are suffering, formulate that tactic on their own, mm. right? It's a, it's a, it, you know, it's not a standard, it's like a behavioral model mm. where it's like almost in tuned in us to do that. Cause I, I, I remember doing the same thing. I remember saying mantras or doing things repetitively that kept me focused and my attention away from pain. Mm. Because as soon as you fall into the trap, 
of falling in love with the pain, it's very easy to justify or convince yourself that the pain that you're in um, doesn't have to be there anymore. Mm -hmm. it's, e it's as easy as raising your hand and quitting. Did you ever think about quitting? Did you ever think about ringing that bell? What I did think about was, <clears throat> how long is this gonna last? That what I did think about was, um, do I have what it takes? Mm. Um, but what helped was really the guy next to me. Man, this guy can do it. And then the 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 level of maturity of the instructor staff. Yeah. One thing I did tell myself when I got there the second time was the fact that uh, man, these guys bleed red, like me. Mm -hmm. So that helped too. You you have a uh, you know when you're when you're looking at those kind of situations where you're comparing yourself to other people that are you know to the right and left of you. Does that kind of give you energy to to sustain and um, live with the burden of pain in that moment? because you know that you're not suffering alone, you know that, or, or is it the opposite? Is it because they're suffering or because somebody else is quitting, it's giving you uh, energy to know that you're still in it? Is it, you know, is, there, is it a combination of multiple things? One thing that I found out early on in training was if I did things first, if I suffered first um, and I got it over with, uh, I would somehow contribute to the class. I realized as a as an LPO, and and the leader, the enlisted leader of that class, a lot was required of me. Yeah. So I figured if I got that out of the way, the pain out of the way first, um, I would be an example. I would help guys out and kind of like take the focus off of me. Mm. And uh, what I didn't want to be is self-focused. The moment I started to focus on self, mm -hmm. it wasn't good. Yeah, it just wasn't. I, I can't remember the moment. Man, this is all coming back to me. This is weird. Um, I can't remember the moment, but I do remember there was a time in which the instructors were trying to get you to turn kind of on the class. Like they were trying to, they were playing the role of like, hey, you know, and you know, what's the sacrifice here? And you committed. I don't know if you remember that, but it's something like you were like, nope, I'm not going to. I'm doing it, or is something where there you were just like I remember I'm that. In. I remember that. What was that? It's interesting. Yeah. You said what it. was that? I remember the I remember the face of the instructor. I remember, man. I remember so much about that. Now you mention it. So what what it was is, um, I was told to go hit the surf. It was during Hell Week, actually. Yeah. I was told to go hit the surf. Um, along, I was going to go with everyone, and I had to be the first one back. Yeah. Every time. Yep. But there were guys that were faster than me. Mm -hmm. There were guys that were just killing it. And, and I was just, this grind was just starting to get at me. But one, there came a point when one of the instructors was telling me, hey, listen, why don't you just get the class together and have them let you win? And I kind of, when he said that, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of looked at him like, are you crazy? You Is know, this real? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, for a split second, um, he, he caught me off guard, but yeah. I was so committed in earning this thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was committed in earning this thing. Yeah. He wanted you to make an integrity violation. Oh, he, man. Was, he was leading you down. There were so many of those things along the way. Yeah. And I realized that now looking back, but uh, yeah, they were just constantly checking, 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 checking. Um, but no, I, I just, I 
put that out of my head and I just kept going until finally the instructor who, who did say, who, who actually initially started that whole thing, pulled me aside and he looked at me in the face and he says, you like this, don't you? And then I knew somehow in the back of my mind, I'm getting somewhere. Oh, yeah. That's, in, that's, that's amazing. I, I, oh, yeah, no, I remember uh, def definitively a whole bunch of segments of that play, which is the conversation of trying to manipulate the situation, but at the same time grooming you sure. for leadership. Sure. Because the reality is, you know, and this is for anybody who's listening to this who doesn't understand the process, when you're a senior guy, there's a higher expectation. Yeah. And there's also a higher standard. You know, the expectation is you expect people to operate a certain way when they're at a higher rank. And then uh, the reality is that's not always true. But if they step up to the plate and they actually, um, uh, you know, show the aptitude to be at that level, um, then there's a grooming process that takes place because you could turn decent leaders into good leaders or good leaders into great leaders mm -hmm. because of that experience. Mm -hmm. I remember that experience uh, in, in different courses that I've been through. But it, you're right, it's a lot more difficult to be in that position because when you're in that position, not only are you handling all the admin tasks for the entire element, but you're held to a different standard. And, it, you, know, I, I, you know, I don't know if this is uh, uh, applicable. It's, like, it's almost like you, you've earned it twice. You earned... It's more difficult for you in that sense. Um, but it also, I, and this is from personal experience, and I want to get your uh, take on it, it's also a source of fuel, of mm. energy. Mm. Because when you're given, when you're, a, when you're somebody who's willing to accept the sacrifice, then that's a noble cause. And when you're uh, able to take that torch and run and move forward, it gives you energy. And I remember, you know, being in a patrol base in Ranger School or being in selections and being given that task and then going, you know what? People are depending on me now. And so now that there's a form of dependence, you're not a soul. In fact, I would say in, uh, in a lot of ways, a soul isolated um, person could end up in a bad situation faster because they don't have the support. Mm. Uh, they don't have the energy that's driven by others. Did you find that in, in, in the sense that um, you were invigorated by the responsibility that you had to step up and lead from the front? Um, I think it's important to say to, before I answer the question, before I got to training, because of what I went through in 95 back mm -hmm. then, yeah. I realized that I needed to be physically prepared Yeah, because the mental stress was going to be there. I couldn't do anything about it. If I could physically prepare myself, mm -hmm. then it would open up my mind to deal with contingencies, whatever it was. Yeah. Right? You had more capacity to That's deal right. with things. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And so um, what ended up happening was I realized that, okay, physically, I'm doing okay. And I'm talking 234 now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Physically, I'm doing okay. Um, and so I learned that if I can do something that will help the whole class, mm -hmm. then um, that's a good thing. Mm. And so I fed off of that good thing. It got, it got to the point where when it came, you know, so during training, we do four-mile time runs. Yeah. Right? On, this, on the hard pack sand. Yeah. Right. It got to the point where 
Early on in training, I was allowing the whole class to cross the line first, and then I'd start my run. Wow. And then on the... And I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just saying yeah. that... You knew... And you know in advance. I was physically confident yeah. that I could get through the class and finish top five, top six, top seven, even by, by allowing everyone else to go first. But that did a lot for me, I think, moving forward in the class. Yeah. Um, as, as a leader... Um, because another thing you have to understand too is I came from an environment that I was solo, man. So everything I did, I did on my own and mm -hmm. I was real quiet. I didn't, I wasn't really, I wasn't really responsible for anything. Yeah. Um, like this, like yeah, I was yeah, in, yeah. in 234. So what they wanted from me was to be, have a voice mm. and get guys to do stuff. Yeah. But in my mind, what that meant was me doing it and they follow. Yeah, yeah, But they yeah. wanted me doing it and saying something. Mm. They wanted me doing and being, being a voice. They wanted you to lead, yeah. Yeah, um, and I wasn't used to that. Yeah. But they broke me out of that. Well, sure. you went, yeah, you definitely went from the far uh, extremes of it, right? I don't, I don't know the, the um, duties and responsibilities of a submariner, mm -hmm. of submariner? Yeah. Submariner. Yes, I, I went um, but I, I know that life is uh, a lot of that life is lived in uh, confinement. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a lot of isolation. Mm -hmm. And so you come from that position where you're working with a small crew on a small vessel, and now you're responsible for driving people and influencing people uh, that are on the you know, front lines of combat. Mm -hmm. How did that uh, experience overall, uh, do you think, set you up for success going and becoming an operational seal on the teams. Um, huh, how did that experience? It taught me that no matter how senior I was, I there was something I needed to learn yeah. because I realized that once I was done with this training and I get into a platoon, there's going to be junior guys that know way more than me. Mm, yeah, and uh, I got to learn. Yeah, and I did, and that's you know I, I did. I, I went into my first platoon, and there were some really really good guys that. Um, were junior to me, mm -hmm. um, but uh, were willing to teach me at the same time. Uh, probably not too different from a platoon where you were. Yeah. Once somebody knew your buttons. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you become this family. Yep. So there was tests all the time mm -hmm. going on, especially me being an E6 going into the platoon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who was this guy? Senior. You no, know, you don't know everything. Learn something. And that's, anyway, that process, coming from mm. that environment to here, it, humble pie is I just what say I it's ate. It's a humbling experience. Yeah, humble pie it was my meal yeah. constantly. Yeah. I, you know, something that stands out to me about your story, talking about 1995 and going into 2000, is you had a relationship, you know, digressing a little bit about mm -hmm. your personal experience. Mm -hmm. I've often found that life, personal life experiences really drive kind of the incentives, motivations behind a lot of our uh, journeys in our career fields or our passions. Mm. You know, because, you know, I've, I've been in the same boat where I got out of the military for a short period of time from the infantry into special forces because of a relationship. And, but it wasn't what my passion was. I wanted to fight. I wanted to be with the most elite guys on the planet. It, 
And then you said at the end of that, which is the beginning of your uh, Bud's career in 2000, that you were going through that divorce. Mm -hmm. Is that part of the mechanism? And is that something that you were held back because of your personal life? And then, you know, and leaving that as it, as you uh, went through that divorce process, it almost feels like, and this is just me tying in my personal experiences, it almost feels like that was the weight that was let go to be able to fulfill your passion and then might have been a driving factor. And I'm speculating. But yeah, yeah, no, I, w I, wish that, I wish that could be the case, um, but it wasn't. Um, and, you know, I'm not too proud to say this, but um, in, in 94, I had a child out of wedlock, Mm -hmm. Right. And then I got married. Mm -hmm. um, so all that happened really fast in that marriage. Mm -hmm. After I quit Buds, um, I had two more children mm -hmm. in that marriage. So when I got a divorce and I went to Bud, well, I started to get a divorce and I went to Bud. Yeah. Um, my my youngest was months old. Mm -hmm. Right. My son was four years old and my oldest who was out of wedlock was five years old. So mm -hmm. trying to make sense of all that, going yeah. through a divorce and then on top of that post uh, 233 into 234, mm. my father passes away and I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want to be held back in training. Then anyway, what I'm, what, what I'm trying to say by that is I felt a lot of shame and guilt from not being at my dad's funeral. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, there was a lot going on in the background, but mm. I was painted into a corner, I was either going to fight, I was either going to do something or just ball up and, and lay down. Yeah, and people don't, you know, I, I, as a veteran advocate, when I talk about veteran issues, you know, I, I never try to highlight veterans as being somehow different than civilians, somehow better, because I hate that uh, symbology or I hate that stereotype that's been associated with that. But what people don't understand is there's levels of sacrifice that aren't highlighted, mm -hmm. right? People think going to war is sacrifice. For me, it's never, it never was. Mm -hmm. For me, going to war was fun. It was more entertainment than anything else because I was exactly where I trained to be, where I wanted to be, mm -hmm. and there was no difficulty in that. Mm -hmm. The difficulty is when you look at things like you didn't go to your dad's funeral because you knew that sacrifice um, uh, would would advance you to be among the most elite. Maybe that's what your dad would have wanted, mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, not making the sacrifice on the other end. Mm -hmm. And those are difficult challenges that veterans face every single day that they have to live with, mm -hmm. that, that that they have to uh, live the rest of their days with. And, you know, did I make the right decision to go into this career field? Did I make the right decision to go to war because I lost everything? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I come from a similar experience where, you know, because of my own mistakes, I lost everything. I mean, I lost my family, uh, really uh, uh, my entire um, life essentially was lost because of my commitment to the military and my, my personal uh, decisions and the mistakes and flaws that I had at the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's all sacrifice. And, uh, and you know, you made uh, lots of sacrifices, which, you know, it's, you know, I would I would like to think that your dad would have been proud of that mm -hmm. that decision because um, who knows where you'd be right now if, if it wasn't for that decision. Mm -hmm. You know, who knows?
Hey guys, it's time to take a break and talk about our next sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Blinkist.com. B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T.com. If you're somebody like me who loves to optimize his life, Blinkist is made of busy people like you who want to get the main points of the books quickly without reading the entire book. With audio features, Blinkist makes it so easy to finish four books a day. Four books a day. It's the only apps that take the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down in just 15 minutes so you can read or listen. Eight million people are using Blinkist right now and has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. If you guys are interested, hit up Blinkist.com, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash survival to start your free seven-day trial now. Now, back to the podcast. So you, you do an operational career, career in the SEAL teams. And I say operational because that's what people would understand that when you're serving in special operations, you are operational, meaning you are working for war. Mm. It's a cycle. Yep. It's a down cycle. There's a train-up cycle, and there's an up cycle going to war. Mm. You did that for how many years? Uh, probably 10 Ten solid years, decades. Yeah. yeah, so I did three platoons at uh, at one team, went into two years of training, and I did another platoon. Yeah. Um, and then after that last platoon, I did uh, four years and change as an instructor. So, I mean, that's what, that's what we call in special operations a full-spectrum career, right? You're, you start off in training, and you got to go through this cycle, and it's almost like what you're living now where you're giving back, mm-hmm. and you, you, you experience all the things, and then you go back, and then you're an instructor again. Mm. How, how was it to be back at Bud's instructing young men uh, who were making that sacrifice? Was, was there a kind of a, I don't know, that seems to me, I never got to be an instructor at the schoolhouse, but I imagine that's a really, uh, one cool job, but it's a, also a huge responsibility. Sure, yeah. Um, realizing that you have a say-so in what direction these guys go. Mm. Um, to, to live that life as an instructor, being an example for these guys coming through, the decisions you make in front of them when bad things happen, good things happen, um, really um, plays into their mindset going forward. Mm-hmm. And You're that, shaping them right then and there. Shaping them, yeah. yeah. Um, for me, fortunately, I, when I first started in training, it was towards the back end. Um, Six months of that basic is what it buds is what they've gone through, and then when I when I got them, it was at, towards the tail end of that three month SEAL qualification training at mm-hmm. Lawn Warfare. So they've been shaped all the way along, mm-hmm. um, and I get them more mature. Yeah, yeah. Um, but still, um, to have to be able to coach them through whatever they were going through, I I, I liked it. I did. Yeah. Um, then it came a point where I had to make a decision to get out. And I, and so I went from SEAL qualification training to the very beginning, mm. uh, orientation and, um, what's the orientation include? What is that? Yeah, it's three weeks of them being oriented at how the kind of exercises, the kind of timeline, mm. uh, the standards, gonna, you're, yeah, you're lining yeah, out the and, standard. And so they come to us from eight weeks of Bud's prep, which is in Great Lakes. Hmm. Uh, so Does everybody go through Bud's prep? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. So eight weeks prior to even starting, mm-hmm. they have to be prepped up, ready to go. Right, and it's it's them really getting stronger. Yeah, um, swimming, 
just getting stronger. Before they come to orientation, and in orientation, they, we saw them on this schedule to, to let them know, hey, this is what's going to be like. And yeah. Then, and then buds is, yeah, the, the, you taste the blood in your mouth. Wow. Opening in buds, yeah. So during the orientation phase, um, is there anything you learned from that experience? Because I imagine when you get a cycle of human beings who are willing to make a uh, distinct sacrifice for their country mm -hmm. and you have to partition, you know, who's going to be able to move forward versus who's not. Was there any significant learning experiences from that? Yeah, for me, I, what I learned most is if you decide on a standard, that's the standard. Mm -hmm. And a person is either going to meet it or deselect themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the key is the standard is the standard. Yeah. And uh, is that physical and mental attributes or behavioral attributes, or is it mostly physical? Yeah, I don't. I didn't deal a lot with mental. Mm -hmm. um, the only time I think any kind of real counseling came in was when the guys were not meeting the physical standard. And yeah. My job in orientation then was that, look, man, you you've made it through eight weeks of prep. Um, physically, you're capable. So, mm. do what's right. And, yeah. And yeah, meet yeah. the standard. Um, so that's that. That's. By the extent, uh, if you had to, if you had to outline a few attributes that you noticed of candidates that were successful, either in orientation or even buds, mm -hmm. could you outline a few of those uh, for somebody who's listening to this? Um, I would say that the guys that physically prepared, they made the decision to physically prepare because mm -hmm. they knew what they were getting into. Yeah, they uh, made the decision to finish. Mm. Um, I've noticed a lot of a trend of preparation. Right? Yeah. It's all in prep. prep work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, here's the biggest one. I found out that the guys were, that were willing to admit when they were wrong mm. and own that did well. Really? So guys who were more self-aware and then humble to yeah. accept yeah. when they were, were wrong. I, I, do notice, I did notice that in that class, uh, the admission and the... Uh, of, of the responsibility of wrongs, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's a good good piece of advice because it's important that in that understanding, that's kind of the process or the cycle that resets you and kind of resets your or calibrates your compass to keep you in the right direction moving forward. Yeah, because you know interrupting that cycle and and not admitting to that using ego or something to to diminish or take away from that experience um, will only set you up for more failure, mm -hmm. uh, not mm -hmm. necessarily success. So you have to be humble on that. That's really good advice. It's living a lie. Yeah, yeah. Right. You, or a mask. You got a mask on. Yeah, and a lot of people do live that way yeah. their their entire lives. You know, when you 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 go from uh, a, a a really significant career that truly defines who you are, did you look at that way? when you transitioned out of the military? And what was your decision for leaving the military? Did you, did you wake up one day and you, was it a process? Walk yeah. us through that. Yeah, so um, I think because I came in so senior and uh, being on submarines for 10 years, coming into this community and doing it for 14 years, um, I really wasn't identifying with anything mm. for me. It, yeah. it really wasn't. Um, I enjoyed what I did. Mm -hmm. um, and, and beyond that, uh, being born in, in Puerto Rico and, and growing up in Louisiana, uh, joining the military when I was 17, mm -hmm. 
Um, man, everything was brand new and fresh, and I tried to keep it that way. The decision for me to get out, um, which, by the way, led to me feeling you know, this bitterness and this resentment, it was really the onus was on me. I, I wasn't taking care of the things at home because um, early on in my SEAL career, I'd gotten married. Mm -hmm. And um, being married in, in the teams is it's a challenge. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're not on the same sheet of music, um, man, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be painful. Mm -hmm. So by the time I decided to get out, it, uh, the way my marriage was going influenced that decision. Mm -hmm. um, I've done a lot of things wrong in my marriage. I was really good at work. Mm -hmm. I was horrible as a husband. Mm. Horrible as a dad. Yeah. Um, and so I made the decision to get out. Um, because I realized that, man, it's been, it's been 22 years uh, of me doing this. I think, I think she deserves better. Mm. So I decided to get out 22 years, and I eventually got out at, at 24 and 8 months. Do you think retracting or understanding that experience, is there a way to strike the balance? I mean, I even searched for that answer yeah. and to, to figure out, you know, hey, if I could take it back, mm -hmm. what would I do differently? And w what's your opinion? Yeah, time, right? And I, I, some, it's, it's like I figured this out way after I got out, right? The more time I spent with her, and not only time, but intentional time, being there whenever I was there, um, made a huge difference. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is those 14 years that, um, what was it, 12 years that I was married to her by the time I decided to get out, mm -hmm. Um, man, when I was home, I wasn't. My mind was somewhere else. You weren't present. No, I wasn't. Yeah. And and had I been present, I think it would have made a, a, a huge difference because she knew what she was getting to when yeah. when she got married. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but man, I had it so lopsided. Mm -hmm. I was really good at work, you know, of, of being at work. Um, but even after a while, because of what was happening at home, your character kind of takes a hit. Mm -hmm. Right, I'm this way at work and I'm this way at home. Man, who am I? Hmm. Um, I, I? I've noticed a similar story with special operations guys, including myself. I'm in the same boat uh, where personally it's almost like I was a train wreck. You know, I, I really was lost in my personal life. Professionally, I was a rock star. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, people see your career in special operations and they hold you um, on a different platform, not realizing the difficulty. But what I've noticed is the more men who come out and talk about this experience, it really sets uh, a really good precedence in uh, life balance and then the priority of work for your life. And so it's a real, one, it's a real healthy thing. Um, do you have regrets? Do you, do you regret that time? And if you can go back, um, I mean, do you live with that regret? Or is it now I'm moving forward because now I, I, I have some form of redemption? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, uh, and the way I'll answer it is when I initially got out, yeah, man, I had tons of regrets. Mm. What helped me out was realizing that I don't have to stay there. Mm -hmm. 
because now I have a chance to mm, rebuild. Yeah. Right. Uh, now I have a choice going forward, mm. realizing I had a choice back then. Yeah. Right. But now going forward, I have a choice to make time in, spent with her intentional, be present. Mm. Um, and that's making a world of difference. Yeah. It's like that we talked about originally is the redemption thing, right? When you have, when you're giving it, you know, yourself a, a chance and then you commit to it, mm -hmm. not this half-hearted approach, but mm -hmm. you truly commit because so many people navigate this life and they're half in, half out, and they're not committed. And then they continue the same bad habits. But once you get out and then you realize you do have the opportunity here to make a complete change, mm -hmm. to be present, mm -hmm. to give people your time, to have balance, to be a good man or be a good husband or a good wife, yeah. then it changes everything. Mm. Um, and so moving forward from that, that point on, personally, you made a commitment. How did your transition from military life to civilian life go? Yeah. Professionally. So, oh, professionally? Well, starting out professionally, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I realized that now that I'm out, I need a new trade. I want to learn a new trade. Mm -hmm. I so, like the story of the BMW there. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a mechanic. Um, and while in mechanic school, I realized I want to be a, I want to diagnose BMWs. So I, I became a mechanic. Uh, I didn't become, I, I was Where does a, that come from? Where does that come, where does that, is it, because I, I, I have the same kind of mind, like yeah. the, the Zen of maintenance kind of uh -huh. thing, where motorcycle yeah. maintenance, where it's, there's something there. Sure. It's almost like therapy. Mm -hmm. Where mm -hmm. does that come from? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it comes from, number one, I think my upbringing, because uh, I was really raised by my mom, mm -hmm. and because they got a divorce when I was 12. Yeah. Um, and I saw, I saw my mom put herself through the police academy mm -hmm. and raise five kids as a single cop. Wow. And then she, Impressive. Yeah, and then she retired in southeast Louisiana, southeast Louisiana wow. yeah. as a woman of color. Wow as an assistant warden at a jail. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, she's really taught me a lot. Uh, now I think that, but back then I realized, you know, I've learned a lot from her. Mm -hmm. So part of that and, and partly, um, I think it's because, um, you know, it has to do with the reason why I, I went into the, into spec ops in, 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 the, in the first place. I wanted to do things that no one else wanted to do mm -hmm. um, and just be busy. And, and what I thought was contributing mm -hmm. And I liked vehicles. I liked working on cars. I, so I figured, well, why not? Mm -hmm. So I started to do that. Six months down the road um, of this mechanic school that I was in, I got a phone call from my oldest daughter, mm -hmm. um, the one I had out of wedlock. She How had, old is she at the time? She just turned 21. Mm -hmm. And because she just turned 21, she had come into some really challenging times. Mm -hmm. And it involved uh, uh, drugs. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, I hit a wall mm. because after figuring out what the, the, the trauma that has happened in her life from that school, I ended up going to pick her up six hours away mm -hmm. with the plan of fixing it mm. because I did it. Yeah. I'm the one who put her here. I got to fix it. Mm -hmm. And that, and so that situation I brought back home at this, and at that time, her and my wife were really getting along. She, mm -hmm. My wife, the stepmom. Yeah. And so my solution was to get help, but not live at home, live in a hotel room with my daughter, who's kind of 
This is the longest time we've been together. We actually spent nine days in a hotel room of me watching her come down off of this stuff. And, wow. And it was life-changing for me because I thought I could fix it. Well, coming out of that, um, some stuff came up in me that I realized I wasn't dealing with. And my wife really picked it out early on. She says, you know, the reason why you go to mechanic school is because you don't want to deal with what's really going on with you. Mm. And so she was right. She was right. Um, and it wasn't shortly after that that I walked into a VA office and I said, listen, I need to sleep. Mm. And they started me off on meds and I went and I got a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a marriage therapist, a, a licensed social worker, and all these people were trying to help me out, along with, you know, uh, some other people on the outside, um, like Debbie Lee, Mark Lee's mom, she helped me out too, mm -hmm. and sending me through some stuff. And then um, through all that, you, go, you get maybe uh, six months down the road, I'm thinking I'm okay, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It's time for me to go find another job, Yeah. right? And my wife says, no, you're not fine. You need to go do what you started off with, with this Mighty Oaks thing. Because during that six-month time, I ended up filling application for Mighty Oaks. Mm -hmm. But that happened three months into it. And then three months later, that six months, I said, you know what? I don't want to take a spot from somebody else who probably needs it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call up Brandon Kunith and say, listen, I don't, need, I don't want to take a spot. So I need to go find a job. Mm. But Chad um, quickly learned... Um, after my wife just reached out to the world for some help. Um, and things were okay, in my mind, between her and I. Mm -hmm. But she still knew there was something going on, and that's when um, Chad made some calls, got some people to call me, and I ended up going to Mighty Oaks. What is it about, because what stands out to me is, you know, when we go through life experiences and... Um, it's almost as like a special operations guy. And I'm not excluding anybody in this conversation, but I'm just talking about our circumstances mm. in, in the same um, parallel world. A lot of people would refer to what we have experienced as post-traumatic stress. They would say, hey, listen, there's issues that you're dealing with. Mm. And they're demons, they're issues, and you kind of work through those issues. But what I realized... In, in coming out of the military and then being exposed to the clinics, the psychologists, the people who want to help, is that the reason we're going to them is because what seems to be issues in our personal lives. Mm. And I wonder if there's a connection between the neglect because of our commitment elsewhere, right? Because you only have so much narrowed focus, right? You can narrow your focus and you have a window and you have, a, you have an angle. And that narrow focus could only be attentive in one position, one set direction. Yeah. And then when you set your eyes and focus, everything else becomes blurry mm. and then is neglected. And obviously having a family, having kids, going through life problems that the civilian world lives every single day, yeah. and we neglect those things, we check out. What seems to be we check out. Sure. We think we're focused on the mission, mm. right? There's only one distinct uh, priority here, and it's living in combat. It's, it's uh, surviving with my brothers because everything else um, is less important because mm. we've prioritized it that way. When the reality is when we come back to that after our focus has been dialed, dialed back in, then we're left with a mess. And so I noticed that 
all the guys that I've operated with, including myself, have come back to all these issues that are related to personal effects and relationships that have been neglected. And now we're left picking up the pieces. Mm-hmm. And then when you, when you refer or defer back to yourself and your own experiences, you don't have anything to lean on. You don't have your teammates. You don't have distractional mm-hmm. uh, uh, deployments. Mm-hmm. You don't have training sessions. You don't have the tooling on your BMW. Mm. Now you're actually literally have to face your, your, uh, the mess that you left. And so you, you, we start to assemble the pieces. Um, how has it been when, what was the, what was the moment? Was there a definitive time, place, moment where you knew, uh, that you needed help? You knew that you needed somebody to, to, to assist you in that forward progress. Yeah. Um, the only way I can know how to answer that is that the incident that happened with my daughter was the catalyst. Mm -hmm. So something really horrible happened and, uh, I hit a brick wall Mm -hmm. and I could either choose to check out Mm -hmm. and not talk to anybody or pay attention to this woman who loved me that was right beside me. Mm. Did you feel that way about your daughter? Because you felt like you put her in that situation. Oh, absolutely. I, I felt when I learned what was going on with her, um, man, I, I rented a car that day, drove six hours, mm-hmm. got there at 10 p.m., put her in the car, um, ended up getting back at about 7 a.m. just to put her into this program. Like I was like focused on getting her help and me fixing it because I'm the one who did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did not turn out what I expected. Um, and man, right now, um, she's going to school and she's got a job and she's not that person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so thankful that that happened. Um, but to answer your question, that catalyst was her, that, that whole thing was something bad happened. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, the, <laughs> the, the chain that was about to break on my bike was just, it just broke. I wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. You're pedaling in place. Oh, man. I was just spinning. Yeah, spinning my wheels. Um, mm. But I, some, you said something earlier that kind of keyed me on to something. You, you were explaining something, and then you said the reality was this. And that's the truth about everything. I was living this lie thinking that, yep, I'm doing good at, at work, um, and home will just take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a lie I was believing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing anything at home. Mm. How is it supposed to take care of itself? It doesn't make any sense. I realize that now. Yeah. But that's a lie that I was living back then. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm doing everything. I'm putting all my effort into, into work because this is my job. Oh, and by the way, wife, you're going to have to live with this and mm-hmm. uh, fix it. Because uh, in my mind, while I'm at work, yep, she's taking care of it. It's going to fix itself. Mm-hmm. No, that happened four times in a row, and it was a disaster. So you're taking, you're realizing that you need to take more personal responsibility because you don't have any outlets to, to blame. I, I remember myself going, I have a deployment to worry about. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be in combat with the guys to the left and right of me. Your personal issues, our personal issues, these things that are a priority to you aren't a priority to me because sustaining, protecting, defending is more important than that. When I think the reality is that happens anyway. 
mm. right? That that life, um, no matter what, is going to be moving in that direction. Uh, striking that balance is the only way to, to be successful. Yeah, and I would say, too, there are guys that make it successful. There are guys. I have seen them. Right? They're outliers, yeah. Right, yeah, right. So there are guys yeah. who who are this way at work, are this way at home, and their mm -hmm. character does not take a hit. Yeah. It's amazing to see, too. Yeah. When I talk to those guys, I like to, uh, because I, I would like to think progressively that the human being that I am today is the human being I wanted to be 10 years ago. Mm. And so realizing that moving forward, expressing uh, the faults and the weaknesses I had 10 years ago, or even five years ago, are important to highlight because I want people to know that um, when, when you go down into a valley, that eventually you could climb yourself to a peak. Mm. And without that uh, circumstance, you'll never be able to grow and never be able to reflect or mentor or communicate yeah. the things that you've been through. Mm -hmm. And I think it's substantial because, you know, I think, you know, your story, even through Buds and this journey that you've taken uh, is important to highlight because with the failure has come success. Mm. Uh, you're working right now with Mighty Oaks. Um, w tell me about that position. Tell me about yeah. what you do for Mighty Oaks and, and, uh, and yeah. yeah, your daily <clears throat> duties and responsibilities. Yeah, well, I think it's important also to kind of touch on the process that I went through through Mighty Oaks. Mm -hmm. um, because when I got to Mighty Oaks, one thing that happened and I wasn't expecting was this transparency and vulnerability of guys who have been where I was, but mm -hmm. now are that, are, that were running the program. And I realized, huh, this isn't normal. Mm -hmm. um, because these guys may have had the same experiences that I've had, but they're actually doing well. Mm. Um, I want to know more. Yep. And so I got to a point in Mighty Oaks where I was asked a question and because of all that we've been through at Mighty Oaks, I was prepared to answer that question based on all my failures. And then this light bulb came on. I realized I have a choice going forward. Mm. And then from that point on, it's like fire, man. Mm -hmm. It's I, this radical change happened. And um, uh, to, to also touch on what you're talking about, you went into this valley and then you, you, there's a peak that you, someone led me up there. Mm. And that's so key. Yeah. That's what these guys did. They led me up that valley mm -hmm. and, um, and out of that valley. Um, so there was this, such this radical change in my life that I went back home and I wanted to fix everything that I've done wrong, mm. right? But my wife wasn't ready for that, man. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because she yeah. was still hurt from all mm. the stuff, you know? Yeah. So that took some time, but it got to a point where I remember her coming downstairs um, some months later and I'm making breakfast, right? And she comes downstairs with tears in her eyes. Mm. And I'm like, what happened, you know? And mm. she goes, you know, I I'm sorry. I go, why? What, what happened? She goes, these past two months have been the best two months of our 14-year marriage. Yeah. And from that point on, I realized that I'm on to something. I'm on the right path. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was able to, and it just got reinforced. So, man, 
by the way, by that point, I've been volunteering as much as I could for Mighty Oaks. I've been doing whatever I, whatever trip I could go on, send me. I, I, I need, I want this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and give back. I want to give back. Some guy, people need to know about this. Mm-hmm. And um, so Jeremy Stalnecker, the executive director, called me up one day and said, hey, man, um, you know, do you want a job? And here, here's, here's what it is. And I'm, I'm like, I'm all about it. Yeah. So what I do is they... I'm the operations slash administrative manager. What does that mean? So Brandon Kunis is the national program director. Mm-hmm. Um, I am the guy who goes to programs to ensure that whatever Jeremy, Chad, and Brandon want in programs is happening. Kind of mm-hmm. like a QA guy. Yeah, yeah. This, this thing keeps going down the road. Um, and it's been working out great because um, we're just growing, right? I started in 2017, January, and um, the things that I've seen come out of the program, the men's lives that have been changed, lets me know, man, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on a good path. Do you, do you, uh, you know, you come from a special operations background, and there's differences, um, not in character necessarily, but there's differences in kind of mindset compared to other soldiers, sailors, Marines, mm. and the way that we approach things. Mm. Um, how has that understanding kind of driven you to where you are now? D- did you look at it like you did a mission in special operations and then figure out a way utilizing that, you know, the same experience that maybe set you up for failure is maybe the same process that sets you up for success. Was there any of that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because um, I don't, personally, I, I don't, I try not to look at the situation like, man, if I go up, I'm, down, I'm walking down a, an aisle of a store and I'm going to pick out this little action figure. Like, no, that's not who I am because we're all different. Um, I think the people that are in my life that have been in my life help shape who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also, uh, I'm also grounded, 100% secure that um, there's a life that I was created to live. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a life that, um, that's meant for me that I'm walking down that path. Mm. Um, yeah. Mighty Oaks being a faith-based organization, you know, we use the Bible as our standard. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? What does it mean to be a man according mm-hmm. to this thing? What does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a son? What does it mean to be a brother? Mm-hmm. And as men, it's so key to know that because otherwise it's just constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So um, to live this life that I was created to live and uh, because, you know, so many people poured into me. And um, and then to, it, I can only give back, and I, it makes sense to me when Chad says the only thing I can do is give back. Mm-hmm. Like that's 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 the result, and that's what I want to do is give back. What does that have to do with my mindset? What I used to have, I think somehow God used that into this. Um, it is a platform. Yeah, um, my mom, you know, subs, things that happened in the Navy, and I realized, man, there's stuff in my childhood that. A lot of guys deal with that I, I, I didn't know that other guys dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the, and that stuff came out at Mighty Oaks, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it, it made for, it, it helped me. It just helped me. 
You know, we, we had talked about before the podcast uh, about men who serve, even women who serve in, in the military and have this distinct pinnacle moment or pinnacle career uh, where they think that's life, that, that is life. And the end of life is when they shut and close that door behind them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I use the analogy or just the example, you know, when I was a child looking at my dad at my age now, you know, I was like, he's old, my dad's old. Yeah. And, and now looking at myself at that age, um, there's a whole new life. Mm. There's a whole new phase, a whole new opportunity uh, to live and to leverage that captured experience to teach, empower, strengthen, and help and lift up more mm. people around me who are going through that same experience. And I noticed in society, you know, this isn't a, a uh, innovative uh, observation, but men uh, and women don't have role models and um, the mentorship that we necessarily had with real people, real human beings. Yeah. Now it's a social media world, now technology, AI, everything's moving so fast mm. that people really need that help, but they don't have that help or that guidance. I mean, I get questions from kids who say, should I join the military? And I say, what do you wanna do in your life? Mm. Join the military. So I say, yes, oh, you should join the military. And the next day they message me and say, Mike, I joined the military. I'm like, oh, you joined the military? Like, <laughs> just based off that? And like, well, I just needed to push. Mm. I need somebody to communicate to. Mm. And not a lot of people have that anymore. Um, what's amazing is I think even outside of this experience in Mighty Oaks is even just explaining your story and communicating it and being vulnerable. Um, you have an opportunity outside of a, the Navy SEAL platform uh, you're doing such a good job at uh, helping a lot of people that are listening even to this podcast that otherwise wouldn't have the help because they're hearing your story. Mm. I mean, and I wish, and I'm, I'm glad we had, we're having this conversation because I just wish more people could hear this conversation mm. because then they would understand the human dynamic that we're not invincible. Because mm. I was a Green Beret and you were a Navy SEAL doesn't mean... Um, we are invincible, that we are somehow immune to life. And when you understand that, then maybe you're not so fearful of going into it with your flaws, mm. with your shortcomings, because there is an opportunity and it starts like right here this second, potentially moving forward to change all that, yeah. to make all those wrongs right. Mm. And if that takes, like you said, it, it just stands out to me and, and I'll probably never forget it. It's like when your wife came down those stairs, it's impactful because um, she, it's a process yeah. specifically for women, right? Yeah. We want immediate That's right. feedback. We want to see things happen at the speed of light. But the reality is life outside of the military doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes being tactically patient will afford you the most opportunities. And it, it looks like, uh, you know, between your personal and professional life, those things are mending themselves, um, in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that I'm, I mean, I've got a, I've got a whole new brotherhood, you know, I've got, I've got guys that, that, that are holding me accountable mm -hmm. and I'm willing to allow them to hold me accountable. But I had to come to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 
And from it, my wife's benefiting. Mm -hmm. She's benefiting. She's getting a better husband. She's mm -hmm. getting a better partner in life. Mm -hmm. um, things are great with us right now. Even if we do fight, things are great. Yep. You know? Um, and, uh, and that has, that definitely, I, I thank Mighty Oak so much for that. Um, but I know it, all, all of it had to do with um, living this life uh, and them showing me this living this life that I was created to live. So, um, and that's, that's my hope, really. There's guys out there that, who are hitting a brick wall, have no answers, are just in a, are in a turnabout, turnabout, you know, and just constantly spinning their wheels. And there is help. There is hope, man. Um, there's other guys that are going through what you've gone through who are better uh, from going to a, a program like Mighty Oak. So whoever is willing to listen, I'm willing to tell my story i'm like you said i'm willing to be as vulnerable as transparent as you want me to um and i'll answer any question you want me to about it about my experiences because you know we've all experienced stuff that we just hold down deep inside um and think that no one else understands yeah um the reality is no we all suffer some of the same things mm -hmm. and um if we can connect if we can get to the truth then we can get to a solution mm -hmm. but that ain't going to happen until we get to that truth mm -hmm. where do you see yourself in 10 years yeah um hopefully still working with mighty oaks um mm -hmm. and um and doing something with my wife that is is uh it's propelling us um into a better place. Plus my kids, you know, my, I still, my, so my oldest is 25. Mm -hmm. My youngest is 24. My, I'm sorry, my, uh, the middle is 24 and my youngest is 20. There is still a lot of stuff that I still have to work with them. Mm -hmm. Right. Because when I got out, they were late teens, they mm -hmm. were, and they, and I was gone. Mm -hmm. So mending that is still a process. Mm -hmm. Um, by God's grace, they've been able to do well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, getting through life. Um, but I know there's still things that need to be talked about. There's still things that need to be, uh, shared. Um, and like you said, it takes time, um, with, with those relationships. When, uh, somebody is going through difficult times or somebody wants to reach out, is there, is there channels, um, for somebody to apply for Mighty Oaks and to be able to, uh, you know, kind of outline their story or get help or how does that, how does that process work? Yeah, we, we've got a Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I'm part of my job too, is answering the, the messages we get through our Facebook managers page. Mm -hmm. Um, and they can also go to our website, mightyoaksprograms.org. Mm -hmm. And, um, we're getting constant feed into that machine to, uh, get guys either in applications, wives, ask us questions about their husbands, mm -hmm. how we can help their husbands. And um, our whole goal is to get guys to a program because, you know, four programs going on all across the country. Um, we're trying to, well, actually, we're not having a difficult time right now filling those programs because guys are starting to learn and, and realize that it's free. They don't mm -hmm. have to pay anything. Mm -hmm. And um, and even travel if, if they need it. Mm. Man. Um, wrapping up, uh, 
how do people get a hold of you? Do you have any outlets for, you know, do you have any social media? Do you have any uh, email addresses for people that might be listening to this podcast and maybe want to ask you a question? Yeah, so Luis, L-U-I-S, at mightyoaksprograms.org. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, Luis. It was, man, it was a great conversation, man, and uh, uh, flushed out a lot of stuff, and I'm, I'm always impressed um, by the Mighty Oaks um, Foundation and what you guys do, but uh, to talk to individuals working for the organization, talking to Chad, uh, I'm always impressed uh, at how humble and graceful you guys are at articulating uh, the message. And I think um, it's an important mission you guys have, and I appreciate your hard work on it, man. Thank you for your service yeah. to this country. And yeah. Yeah, thank you for uh, everything you've done for this country, and thank you for being vulnerable and, 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 and telling your story, because I mean, it's it's a story of that's not told enough, and I think uh, outside of the superhero fringe of the things that we do, uh, there's a deeper underlying story that's more meaningful, mm. and I appreciate sharing it today, man. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks, guys. Mm. Thanks, guys. If you're listening to this podcast, this podcast today is sponsored by Mighty Oaks. You guys could visit mightyoaksprograms.org uh, if you guys want to donate. You can donate there. You can donate also on the Facebook page. If you need help, uh, Luis gave his email address as well as you can reach out on Facebook or the uh, website if you're interested in looking at these programs and learning more. Again, I appreciate everything that uh, Mighty Oaks is providing for us. Thanks for having us in the studio and allowing us to use this. Uh, I appreciate Michael and Chad and everybody's help for uh, setting this up. And, uh, yeah, until next time. Thanks, guys.